Welcome to the Invested Dads Podcast, simplifying financial topics so that you can take action and make your financial situation better, helping you to understand the current world of financial planning and investments. Here are your hosts, Josh Robb and Austin Wilson. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Invested Dads Podcast, the podcast where we take you on a journey to better your financial future. Today, we are going to be talking about the Federal Reserve's latest action and what it means for the markets going forward. The Fed took a hike. They did take a hike. They yeah. tightened their belt as part of their New Year's resolution. That's right. They've been putting on a couple too many pounds on their balance sheet. Huh? Nice, nice. And yeah, they're trying to get rid of that a little bit. So let's talk about what is happening. So first of all, on the 16th of March, the Federal Reserve announced, unsurprisingly. No, it was a shock to everybody. <laughs> they announced that they were going to hike the overnight lending rate, the Fed funds rate, to 0.25 to 0.5%. Yeah, they always give a range. 0.00 to 0.25%. Yeah. So essentially, they raised one quarter of 1%. The overnight lending rate that they're lending, really lending to banks is yes. the biggest thing that that is. That's the really, really short-term borrowing rate. So that was the first interest rate hike since 2018. Wow, forever ago. In 2018, there was actually quite a few, mm-hmm. um, but they actually were kind of went too far at the end of the year. and had They lowered it. it in 2019. Exactly. So this was the first rate hike since 2018. Again, it was 25 basis points or one quarter of 1%, and that was largely as expected. There was some speculation a month or two before that that they could even do a half percent. But the Russia-Ukraine uncertainty and how that related to oil prices yes. and all kinds of stuff yes, put a little bit oil. of uncertainty into their forecast. So they err on the side of being conservative and not do too much by taking it half a percent mm-hmm. at one time. In addition to that, yes, they announced that, quote-unquote, at a coming meeting. Coming meeting. That could mean anything. Anything. They are going to begin balance sheet normalization. This is known as quantitative tightening as opposed to quantitative easing. Yep. QE. QE versus QT. This is QT. And this will be them selling the bonds that they've accumulated on their balance sheet as they were easing. And that is coming at a later date. We haven't gotten there yet. They were buying bonds to put cash into our economy to keep lending, to keep our finance sector flowing during... Uh, economic crisis like COVID. Yeah. And this is really, it's only the second cycle that they've used that as a huge portion yeah. of their, of what the Fed's been doing. They also did it in the financial crisis, but to a lesser extent, actually. And then they've, they now have a enormous trillions of dollars balance sheet, which they will begin running off. We're going to talk about the impact of what that will be here soon. But the question is, why? Mm-hmm. Why did the Fed do this? They why, were bored. They were bored. They wanted to. They've been sitting on their hands for so long. I mean, imagine how easy it's been to be the Fed. It's like right before you know you have your review at work, and you're like, I got to get some stuff done so I can write down all the cool That's things right. I did. That's right. So there's really two mandates we always need to keep in mind when we're talking about the Federal Reserve. Yes. These are their dual mandates. Number one is full and inclusive employment. And they just added the inclusive piece, which is not really measurable, but they added that recently. It sounds good. It's full employment. We're all inclusive. Yeah, we're talking about full employment yes. here. So unemployment is currently about 3.8% seasonally adjusted here in the United States. That's really low. Historically, that's good. It's actually closing in on 3.5%, which was the pre-pandemic lows since the 60s. Yeah. So closing in on that, we are in an economy where we have more job openings than we do unemployed people. It's putting a lot of pressure on wages because there's just a lot of jobs out there people are looking to hire. You know, 4% is great, and we're we're below that, and it's looking strong. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So check. We give the give the Fed a golden sticker on the they get full the sticker employment. for that because they worked real hard. For they that. worked real hard on they didn't that. Do anything for that. Uh, so, but they're tracking it. So number two is stable pricing environment, and let's just say they don't get a gold sticker no. on this one because there is absolutely not a stable pricing environment out there. The latest CPI or Consumer Price Index reading showed that the basket of goods tracked in that is up seven point nine percent. Does office supplies year. work? Is that part of that? I, hey, it could be. Because then that would be staple pricing. Oh, my goodness, Josh. Just so you know. Staple pricing, not or stable no. pricing. Okay. No, we're talking about stable pricing. Okay. And, and we've not... 7.9% inflation year over year is not stable. Hmm. Generally, the Fed likes to see the 2 to 3% range. They are trying. Yeah. They were trying to get it up to 3 for a long time. And now they'd be happy with 3. Yeah. But that is not where we are right now. Everything across the board is more expensive and not just by a little. And in fact, that CPI reading, that's not actually what most people are feeling. Right. Most people are feeling higher numbers because than CPI, that, digits. Yeah. CPI takes a set basket of goods. Right. And not everybody buys that. Exactly. In proportion to what they're looking at. So we're seeing inflation at the highest level in 40 years. And inflation is at the highest level in 40 years at a time when the Federal Reserve had interest rates at zero. Yes. So like... They weren't essentially doing anything to do that. And we've had high inflation for months. Yep. So a little bit behind maybe the curve on doing anything about that. But mm-hmm. that's how it got to be where it is. The question then leads to, how does the Fed's actions make changes to the economy yeah. as a whole, right? How, well, I've always wanted this for the first mandate. Yeah. Employment. Inclusive. Full inclusive employment. Yeah, okay. What can they do to help with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that if borrowing costs and financial conditions are extremely loose and easy, then companies companies will be more apt to invest, start new projects, which are going to require people to hire. That's kind of the biggest thing there. They they don't do as much for that one. Now, the interest rate... But the current environment was very conductive for that to work. So low borrowing costs and very easy monetary policy made it that companies were probably apt to. And still are, because historically speaking, things are still loose and easy. Yes. In terms of monetary, fiscal, monetary policy. Even after a quarter percent raise? Oh, that's nothing. So much. (laughs) So let's talk about the two things that the Fed really announced that they were going to be doing. So raising interest rates, what that is going to do is it's going to increase borrowing costs across the board, essentially, but especially from the short-term overnight bank lending. But it's going to extrapolate their than to mortgages and everything in between. So hiring borrowing costs are going to make people think again before they go out and spend money because it's going to cost more. Yeah. And thus, they're going to be less likely to spend in the first place. Pause. Quick question. Yeah. Do banks get a discount for overnight lending on the night that there's a time change? Because they, they didn't have that extra hour. They moved ahead. They yeah. jumped the one out. Do you I think know. they got a discount? But did they have to pay extra last on the fall? La- I don't know. Maybe uh, they'd sequel out, but I would be asking that, for one if I was a Did you see the news that the, uh, was it the Senate passed the bill to uh, permanently eliminate daylight savings time? I saw that. Which, that's not what this episode's about at all, but it just mm-hmm. makes sense. It's the most dumb thing. I feel thing. like they do that every couple of years, but it just doesn't go anywhere. It has to go somewhere. I'm sick of it. Nah. I'm going to sign a petition. Let's you should. One. You should. Okay, so second part of what the Fed announced it was the quantitative tightening. Right. I'm sleep on it. I'm just going to sleep on it. So quantitative tightening, that's the Fed selling yes, their bonds off of their balance. Get it out of here. So what this is going to do is it's going to dry up excess liquidity in the mm-hmm. markets because when they're buying things, they're putting cash into the markets. When they're selling things, they're taking cash out of the markets. Yeah. So excess cash and liquidity. Where does that cash go once the Fed gets it? 
What, where's that cash go? So when they when the are Fed buys selling it back, it, probably fin- back to the treasury. Treasury. I would assume back to the treasury. To the place the bond came from. Exactly. Yeah. It's all. It's interesting. Oh, you know, out of one pocket it's into the circle. other. Yes. It's a circle. The circle okay. of life. Circle so of all this excess cash that they had when they were buying yeah. bonds that was in the market that was really good for people, businesses, banks having money to lend or borrow or spend. Mm-hmm. So when they're selling these bonds. That is going to then put downward pressure on the bond prices, which is going to put upward pressure on yields, which in turn raises interest rates really across the yield curve. Yep. So really, they can control the ultra short end of the yield overnight. curve with their overnight lending rate, yep. Fed funds rate, which they're increasing. Mm-hmm. And they can control, they could really strategically control the rest of the yield curve, yield curve control indirectly by choosing which area of the market they're selling because they hold you know treasuries Everything. across the curve. Yep. They also hold mortgage-backed securities and all kinds of stuff. But anyway... This is their way of essentially controlling interest rates. Mm. And higher interest rates means slower economic growth. Slower economic growth means lower inflation in theory. When in you play this all theory. out. That's, what they're, that's the whole point that's the of goal. this. Right? That is okay. the goal. Gotcha. So Josh, ask me the question. I'm going to ask you this question. This is my question to you. Josh's question for me. What do markets... Because you asked me what does this mean to our listeners. But I'm going to ask you, what do markets... Do right, because we're going to get to your answer. Yeah, we're we, get to your, yeah, that's down the road. What but do markets do? What do markets do when, when the, the Fed, Fed is tightening? Is tightening. Yes. So the question is, no, that is yeah, the question. What are they going to do? Well, overall, stocks have returned an average of five point three percent per year during years when the Fed hikes rates for the first time. That's a little bit below the long term average, but eight it's to ten is the long term average. Yeah. Five and a half. It's five point three. Okay. Now in slow tightening cycles where you're not having huge hikes all at once, but more gradual, like, you know, one hike per meeting or whatever. Stocks have returned about 10.5%. So oh, about nice. Double they like that. In fast tightening cycles, so mm-hmm. big hikes quickly in a response to maybe out-of-control inflation, yep. something like that, stocks have averaged a loss Ooh. of 2.7% annually. So you average those two out, you have 53 So over all time periods where the Fed is not hiking, stocks are up 11.5%. They like that the best. They like not hiking because when interest rates are low, that's better for stocks. And when you get to the point where you look at valuations for stocks and you're talking about discounting future earnings and cash flows and dividends, the lower the interest rate is, the better that is for the valuation of a stock market. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm surprised that number is where it is because in non-hiking years, that would also be in years that it's down because they're not going to hike. They'd probably be reducing. Yeah. Well, so I'm you actually think it. the stock market return would actually be lower. Yeah. So that average of 11.5 is actually really impressive when yeah. you figure those non-hiking years is higher for the total. So, yeah, so those are years where the Fed is either not doing anything yep. or cutting. Yeah. So that, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is if they're cutting, it's usually in response to bad economic conditions. Yeah. And yeah. so the fact that it's an 11.5% is interesting. To yeah. Me. So I actually have some stats on okay, that. Okay. Show me that. So, But essentially, like we just talked about, roughly yes. average stock market right. returns for early, slow... slow yep. Easy tightening cycles. Not terrible for stocks yep. at all. Now, if we break this into four phases. Yep. So easy tightening, which is like easy where we monetary are right policy now. tightening. Yep. Okay. And we can look then look at tight tightening. So tight monetary policy while they're getting tighter. Yep. Tight and easing. So tight monetary policy, but they're lowering That's at the top. Yep. Or yeah, starting e, to do the thing. And then easy and easy, meaning yep. it's as easy as it yep. gets, right? Low and getting easier. Yep. So if we look at returns for all of these. The first category there is the easy tightening. That's where we're at right now. Okay. That has averaged about an 8% return annually. That's like normal, right? The tight and tightening. So that's you have tight monetary policy 
and you're tightening further, mm. that has actually averaged a loss of 0.1% annually, but about break even. The tight and easing segment there, that phase, that has been a, a positive return of about 0.9% annually, but very low, but not much off of tight and tightening. And then phase four is easy easing. That is the easiest monetary policy getting you know easier. And that has been an average return of 12.8%. So what it seems the bigger deal is that first word, whether tight or easy. Yes. Yes, easy monetary policy is good yep. for stocks. Tight monetary policy is not good for stocks. Makes sense. It does. So in general, during easy financial conditions, stocks have been up about 10.6%. Hmm. And while conditions have been tight, they've only returned 0.4%. Wow. That's different. That's a lot of percentages floating around there. I got but two Long more story you. short... It sounds like we're entering into that early stage, which historically the stocks do well. It's still easy. Mm-hmm. So, and then we need to look at during hiking cycles yes. or during easing cycles. Yes. During hiking cycles, yep. stocks have returned 5.1%. Mm. During easing cycles, they've averaged 9.4%. Wow. So, a couple of different ways to look at it. All over the way. Overall, where we're sitting right now, what this is pointing to is it's not the end of the world for stocks. Right. It could still be lucrative for mm-hmm. stocks. But it is only, we're headed in the direction where it gets to be more of a headwind than a tailwind. Yes. It will turn then at some point from a tailwind to a headwind Mm -hmm. as you get too tight. Yep. So that's kind of where we're at. So that is my nerdy stats. All right. So let's stop, digest those percentages, let them float around in our head for a minute. I got a dad joke of the week for you. Bring it. All right, here we go. Do you know why the mailman was unable to deliver the envelopes? Is it envelope or envelope? Envelopes. Which one is it? Envelopes. You tell me. I said them both. It's envelope. Envelope. I don't know which one it is. No, I have no idea. It's because they were stationary. <laughs> they were stationary. They were stationary. For the envelopes. For the envelopes, envelopes. Yeah, that's, that, I don't know. It's a hard that, word. I don't think there's a right answer. Washington, Washington. <laughs> well, there is a right answer. There's right answer for that. There's one. no R in there. Let's just say that. There's no Warshin. There's no Washin, Washrag, Warshrag. Mm-mm. So anyway... Let's get back to it. Where are you? Will the Fed go too far? That's uh, the question. I have an answer for you. You have an answer. It's to be determined. We oh, don't okay. really know at this point. So inflation is crazy high. They still believe many aspects of it are going to stabilize when supply chains normalize over the next year. That is the Fed's standpoint as of now. That's what the Fed says. That's why they're only increasing 25 basis points at this point. Haven't done anything crazy. If they tighten too much to slow down the economy before it's ready, mm-hmm. that would be known as policy error. That's what they call from a, it. From a monetary policy standpoint. Or a mistake is how everybody else would say it. Yeah, I would just say you were wrong. Yep. Yeah. Messed up. <laughs> but they would call that policy error. And that could, not, not that it would, but it could send the economy into a recession, mm. which is why they would then respond by easing. easing. <laughs> yes. And if you look at the way the yield curve is trading right now, so fixed income, bond yields, Yes, we are getting to the point where... Certain areas of the yield curve are either inverted, which mm-hmm. means the shorter end of the, if the curve is yielding more than the longer end, which means and you're more a, bullish about the short term than the long term, meaning right. it's about to get worse. Because the reason why that's weird is if I'm, that's just you and me, if I'm letting you borrow some money. Yeah, say five you years say, and 10 years. Yeah, you say, hey, I'm going to pay you back in five years. I'm going to say, okay, I need a certain amount of interest because I'm not going to have that money for five yep. years. But if you say, hey, can I pay you back in 10 years? I should want a little more interest because I don't get my money for longer. Yes. So when you say the yield curve is inverted... That means the shorter end is higher than the long end. Which doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. So that's the reflection of people 
in the economy, the market saying, I don't really know what's coming. I'm going to go on the short end yep. because I don't trust longer. Yeah. And so yeah. that, so yes, it's about bullishness. You're more bullish about right now, even yes. though it's uncertain with what's happening in the future, which is not typically a good yeah. thing. And in fact, an inverted yield curve in certain areas of the yield curve has always preceded recessions. That's yeah. why the recession was popping up again now. Ooh. And now the Fed could kind of control some of this to some extent with A, their interest rate increases, but B, their QT, quantitative yes. tightening. Now, their balance sheet is large, but compared to the overall basket of fixed income securities out there, it's not, the, it's not the mammoth yes. thing that we think it is. So they really won't be able to do a whole lot. Yeah. There. So, so the Fed says that some of this maybe with supply chain. Yeah. Have they addressed the amount of cash floating around our economy from all of the stimulus being a factor as well? Because I feel like and, that's a factor. They try and dodge that. Yes. Because the Fed tries to and does a, actually Jerome Powell. Jerome Powell, he's a registered Republican, yet he's nominated and just got confirmed, I believe, again mm-hmm. by essentially Democrats as the Fed chair again. Mm-hmm. So he tries and does a really good job of being apolitical because the Federal Reserve does not, it's not Republican, it's not Democrat. And so he makes a very big point to not criticize fiscal policy, is what you're talking about. Yep. So the stimulus packages that have went through for the last couple of years and yep. given Trillions of, not trillions, billions and billions yep. and billions of dollars, even trillions, but tons of money into the economy, tons of money into people's pockets. Powell does a pretty good job of dodging questions on how fiscal policy has impacted inflation. Yes. But the general consensus is that, yes, all of the trillions of dollars and billions and all those big words of extra money that's gone into people's pockets and the economy has surely contributed to inflation. Yeah. It has to help. Inflation a little bit. I mean, they're you just help as in much. make it higher. Yeah. I mean, like you have more money, fuel the fly, fire right, of inflation exactly. a little bit. If you, I mean, whether it's the primary you, one or you know supply chain, all that, whatever. If you hand someone five thousand dollars, they're going to go spend it. Yep. That's and and the more people that go do that, the more prices are going to go up because business can charge more. And as their costs are going up, they're going to pass that along to consumers. It's just it's all a big circle. Yes. So the question is, yes, how do you invest in a Fed tightening cycle? Yeah. Well, what do you do? You want some tips? Give me a tip. Give me a tip. No, really. Treasury inflation protected securities. No, I didn't even put that on here. But stocks are really the only proven inflation hedge. Yeah. Long term, that's Long the only term. thing that beats inflation. They do better than cash. They do better than bonds because bond prices are usually going down. So total returns are muted yep. during times of interest rates going up. So yep. that is really where we're at. We're in that environment where stocks are really the only option. Gold, now, gold is an inflation hedge, I hear, oh, on the geez, news everywhere. Started. Yeah, we had the last year, 2021, highest inflation in 30 years at that point. Yes. Gold was down for the year. Oh, but I thought it was a good inflation hedge. Yep, don't think that gold's a good inflation hedge. If someone tells you that, okay. you should not hire them. Yeah. What gold is good for? It's pretty jewelry. <laughs> pretty jewelry. And it, technology. Yeah. The time that you'd really see it move, though, is uncertainty, right? Gold is yeah. a protection against economic uncertainty because gold historically is seen as a valuable limited commodity that then can be exchanged for other things. So it is not an inflation hedge. Historically, like you said, even last year was a great example of that. If you see that on news, ignore that. Yeah. So another way to, I wouldn't really say invest in this, but maybe take advantage of higher inflationary environments, rising rates, because rates are going up, is fixed rate mortgages. So First of all, if you don't, if you have an arm, I have two. An adjustable rate oh, mortgage. Sorry. 
your rates will at some point be going up yes. as interest rates go up. Because they adjust because they the adjust. rate of the And mortgage. the rates are going up. They so, say it right in the name, so don't be surprised. So that is something that you may want to consider a fixed rate mortgage as an option. Instead of adjustable. One. And in areas, in an inflationary environment that we're in right now, borrowing at a lower cost than the inflation rate is essentially more than free money. Like you're doing really good on your money if you're borrowing at, like mortgage rates are 30 years over 4% again, which yeah. is big that, move. Yeah. But it's still lower than inflation is right mm-hmm. now. So that's a, that's a natural hedge that if you have a fixed rate mortgage, you're gotcha. naturally hedging your overall financial position. So Josh, this brings us to you yes. because you're the guru. You like sit on a mountain and go, hum, hum, wearing like a toga or whatever gurus do. So you're the financial guru. How does the Fed hiking rates impact your financial plan? You know, it really doesn't. Honestly, this has happened in the past. This is not normal. That's what they're there for. The Fed was created to do these things, right? To help smooth out our economic trajectory, remove those kind of bumps along the way. So how does this impact your financial plan? Doesn't. Inflation being higher? Now, that does impact your financial plan oh, yeah. a little bit, yep. but the long term is the important thing. We're going to have spikes of high inflation. We're going to have periods of low inflation. So you need to make sure that you factor in a reasonable inflation for the long term. And try and be conservative, probably, yes. if you had to choose one way Conservative the meaning higher in this exactly. case. Exactly. I w- don't think I would do a long-term 7% no, inflation. No, no. But you know, the long-term average, that includes all, even the 70s where we saw hyperinflation, is three and a half percent. Right, that's a good number. Yep. So, how does this impact your financial plan? It doesn't if you factored that in already for a good long-term average inflation. In the short term, we talked about there. Depending on what type of phase we're heading into, your different investments may underperform or outperform. But again, a fully diversified portfolio should be built to sustain all these different pieces. Some will do well, some won't. Mm-hmm. But you've got to stick to the plan, stick to the course. And if you have any questions. Make sure you're talking to your advisor about it. Yeah, and that's also a good thing that brings up the, the thought of rebalancing. Yes. So as some of these things get out of whack mm-hmm. during certain periods, certain things are going to do better than others. This is not a time to not rebalance. Correct. Because naturally, things are going to move in different trajectories mm-hmm. than the other. Take advantage of that. Yes. And if you're adding money in regularly, which if you're not in retirement, we would hope everyone is, Yes. your, your money should automatically be doing that for you. Yes. And as a reminder, we talked about this before in rebalancing, Rebalancing is selling things that are up to buy the things that are down, which means you're selling things that are at an appreciated price, which is a good time, and buying things that are a reduced price, which is also a good time. So rebalancing is good for your portfolio, keeps you in line long term. Now, let things ride. You could probably get... But that's not the goal here. The goal is to stick to your plan and stick to an asset allocation that you're comfortable with that should, in the long run, meet all your financial needs. But Josh, what if everything in my portfolio is down? My stocks are down. My bonds are down. Look at the time frame. So if you've been investing for more than three months, you're probably still up. You know, Most year-to-date are still positive because last year was a good year in the stock market. Or trailing one year. Trailing one. Last 12 months, yeah. And so that's... you know. Look at your time horizon and then look at your portfolio and say, how am I allocated to get to that goal? Absolutely. Well, as always, check out our free gift to you. It's a brief list of eight principles of timeless investing. These are overarching investment themes meant to keep you on track to meet your long-term goals. We don't talk about the Fed because, again, what they do is irrelevant to your long-term plan. It's just part of the normal cycle, and that will kind of take care of itself if you stick to your plan. But check that out. It's free on our website. Josh, how can people help us grow this podcast? Uh, make sure you subscribe. That way, every Thursday, you get our most recent episode sent right to you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. And then 
email us any questions. If you have a nomination for the Fed, if you know somebody that do a good job there because they are all elected officials, then you can let us know. We won't do anything about it, but you can tell us. There you go. And then if you know somebody who's asking questions about rising interest rates, share this episode with you. All right. Well, until next Thursday, have a great week. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Invested Dads podcast. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a better financial future doesn't have to. Head over to theinvesteddads.com to access all the links and resources mentioned in today's show. If you enjoyed this episode and we had a positive impact on your life, leave us a review, click subscribe, and don't miss the next episode. Josh Robb and Austin Wilson work for Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Josh, Austin, or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Indices are not available for direct investment. Any investor who attempts to mimic the performance of an index would incur fees and expenses, which would reduce returns. Securities investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment plan or strategy will be successful.